Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn, if you will, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth. I want to begin reading at verse 1, and I'd like to read the first 10 verses. It's a pretty lengthy passage of Scripture. It's not a, it's not a story passage. There are story passages, David and Goliath or, or um, Joshua uh, and the in the Valley of Agilon or something, but this is a this is a thought passage. This is a theology passage. We're at the end of this whole series on on theology, uh, meetings with God. I, I I hope that you have been blessed by this series and challenged, and that you have been encouraged to think about how you think about God. But this is a, this is the passage with which we'll end the series. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me. Now listen to this. Here it is. A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he, that is God, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. These are, these are profound words and, and a challenge to us in many ways. We dare not approach them without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before this scripture, we don't want to pick and pry it open. Nay, Lord, but that it should pick and pry us open. Deal with us. Root out every, every shred of ego or pride or vanity of any kind and deal with us. Lord, we believe you for it. We thank you for it. Lord, we cannot comprehend these things in mere intellect alone. We need you, Holy Spirit, of revelation and faith. Come to us, we believe you. In the wonderful, sweet, holy name, Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. 
We have in this series talked about the character and nature of God. This whole series is about theology, but it's about what theologians call proper theology. And that is, in other words, kind of a redundancy. Theology means the study of God. So the theology of God is a redundancy. It is, it is the study of the theology of God. But we've narrowed in this series on that. Who is God? What is the character and nature of God? We talked about the holiness of God. We talked about the will of God. We talked about the power of God. Tonight, we want to talk about the goodness of God. Paul the Apostle is a man whose extremities of life are beyond what most of us will ever comprehend. In his lifetime, think of the things that he experienced uh, of being responsible really for the death of the first Christian martyr. He did not slay Stephen himself, but he incited the riot and held the coats of those who killed him. He, he was a murderer in his conscience of the first Christian martyr. He persecuted Christians, brought them in chains and slavery. He's converted miraculously on the road to, Dam to Damascus in a, in a wonderful vision. He is struck blind, healed of blindness, filled with the Holy Spirit, raised up to be an apostle, given these extravagant revelations of God, and then rejected by the apostolic community in Jerusalem. He is sent to back to his uh, hometown to wait and, and be there in Tarsus until he is summoned. He's called out of there by um, the again by the apostolic community. Barnabas reaches out to him, brings him to Antioch, and from Antioch, he becomes the first great, certainly Barnabas too, but Paul becomes the first great missionary, particularly to the Gentile world. He traverses the Mediterranean basin, planting churches. He writes most of the New Testament. He sees signs and wonders and miracles. He is bitten by a snake and the, and the poison won't even touch him. He sees the, the blind healed. He sees miracles of healing, deliverance to those that are demon-possessed. He is rescued from shipwrecks. He is stoned and left for dead. He crawls out from under the rocks, goes back into the same town and preaches more. This is a life of, of huge, huge ups and downs in the gospel. And yet, what does he say? I'm not going to glory in any of that stuff. I'm not going to glory in the huge revelations that I've been seen, that I've seen, that I've been given. I'm not going to glory in the, in the wonders of his miraculous power. He says, if I'm going to glory at all, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. That is a challenge to us. What does it mean that the goodness of God brings Paul the apostle to this place where he says, I will glory in my infirmities. Listen to what he says. I had some kind of a thorn in the flesh. Now, people have spent 2,000 years conjecturing what that is. At one point in one of the letters, Paul says, I would have given you my own eyes. So someone infers from that that Paul was myopic, that he had some kind of eye problems. At another time, he says, I was with you in great trembling and shaking. So someone else conjectured from that that what he struggled with was chronic malaria. Having had malaria twice in my life, once in West Africa and once a recurrence of it in, in South America, I can tell you that 
It is not a nice infirmity. It feels like your whole body is shaking loose. Your eyes are going to fall out of their sockets and you feel like you have an ax in the middle of your forehead. So if it was malaria, then that's a serious infirmity. We don't know what it was. Someone suggested that it might even have been epilepsy, but it's not told us. I think that is important that we know that it wasn't told us which one it was, because if it was, we would fasten in on what that one thing means. In other words, Paul says this, listen, I went to God three times and asked him to remove it. I don't think he means a prayer on Monday and one on Wednesday and one on Friday. I think he's talking about three seasons of seeking God, probably with fasting and prayer and really, really getting in with God on the way that, that probably few of us could. We're talking about Paul the apostle here. They could get in with God and get hold of God and say, God, please, whatever this thing was, whatever it was, God, please lift this off of me. Three times, he says. I went to God and said, I, I don't want this, whether it was something physical or whatever it was. Please lift this from me. And at the end of the third time of asking, he said, I heard from God. And basically what God says is, I'm not going to lift it. I'm not going to take it. I'm going to leave that in your life. But my grace is sufficient. This is the challenge that we face in tonight. If we live in fear and doubt and insecurity and uncertainty, we can begin to think that God is sitting in heaven tearing the wings off of butterflies. We begin to think that he is a, a capricious and whimsical God, undependable and uncertain. And it can make us frightened to come before him because we're afraid that God's kind of the cosmic joker. And then we're going to walk into the heavenly office and he's going to jerk the rug out from under us. It can make us think of God like this. Hello? God? Are you here? Oh my God. Oh, exactly. exactly. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Wait, wait. Uh, are you, are you God? You betcha I am, buddy. Uh -huh. yeah. Oh, you scared the wits out of me. I know, right? I mean, nobody expects it from me. It's good. It's a great gag. I love it. <laughs> it's not funny. I, 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 I just came here for some help. Oh, sure, sure. Right. Yeah, I understand. Let's just Forget that, okay? It's just like a, an icebreaker, okay? Here, look, sit, take a seat, all right? Go ahead, make yourself comfortable. Take a seat right there. Okay, right. Um, so uh, uh, how, how do we do this? Uh, well, uh, just go ahead, just lay your head on the desk, close your eyes, relax, uh, and just, you know, kind of focus and, and tell okay. me what it is that you need, all right, buddy? All right, well, um, it's just that recently we've, we've been going through a kind of hard time, and it's been a tough time for me personally, and I was just kind of... Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> dear, dear God, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm right here. Yeah. Uh, that's not funny. Oh, okay, listen, buddy. Listen, listen, don't, don't get mad, okay? We're just, we're just getting to know each other, right? <laughs> we're just having fun, right? Okay, so just, let's just, let's just hit the reset button, all right? So just reset, start over. Take a seat. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sit down. It's good. We're good. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go all ahead. right. Um, <sighs> all right. Shall I uh, close my eyes? Whoa! 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 whoa. <laughs> that hurt. 
You get it? It's not like the real thing. Like, you're not dead, but it's like an electric... I love that gag. It's hilarious. It, it hurts. Okay, I'm sorry, buddy. Here, I want you to have a piece of candy. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Take it. Put it in your mouth. There you go. Oh, wait, what? Oh, hot, hot. What water, 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 please. Jalapeno candy. Jalapeno, oh, it's hot. Get it, oh, I need water, please. I need water. Come on, what, what, what? what? <laughs> Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? You just shot me in the face. With a water gun. Well, you were asking me for water. You were practically begging me for it. I just answered your prayer. That's what I do. I'm leaving. Oh, now come on, old fussy pants. Don't go away, Matt. Just go away. Now I'm getting there. You can have some more candy. It's oh, classic stuff right there. I love it when I get a, a, a serious one. It's good. Okay, hold on. <clears throat> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Next. We know that God is not like that. God is not waiting to press the button and shock us in an electric chair. That's the, we know that's a twisted view of God. But the problem is that when we talk about the goodness of God, we want to identify the goodness of God as being good the way we want him to be good. We want God to be our, our, um, our cosmic bellhop. We want God to to be the one who answers our every prayer immediately. I, I want to share this with you. I came across these three book titles on the internet. I've never read any of them. I don't know anything about the authors. I just want you to show, I want to show you how they seem to blend together. Two of these are secular and one is theological, quote unquote theological. Listen to the titles. How, how to beat slot machines. How to get what you want from people and how to get what you want from God. That's an actual book title. How to get what you want from God. Actually, one of the subtitles on the book it talks about in, in this book, which I haven't read, and if the guy calls me and says, you've got me all wrong and everything like that, then okay, sue me. But here's what I want to say about that. The whole object, is that the object of the Christian faith? How to get what we want from God? And one of the subtitles in the book says that sometimes you want to put a special order into God. In other words, that you don't just come up to the hamburger joint like everybody else, that you want something unique, something special. You want your onions grilled. You want some special thing. And, and do you see what that does? It panders to our contemporary 21st century American obsession with God as the cosmic Coke machine. We want to put that dollar in and push the button and we want that Coke can to drop out the bottom that moment, that second. And if it doesn't, we're going to take a crowbar to the machine and sue Coca-Cola. We are an entitled generation. We are people that believe we've got it coming. And as a result of that, it has caused us sometimes in steering away from God as the cosmic tricker 
We want to see God instead as the cosmic bellhop. Uh, yes, God. Great. I want some room service. Uh, I need some hot coffee and some nice scones. And hurry up, would you? Uh, here you are, sir. I came just as fast as I could. Uh, there you go. Enjoy. You call this hot coffee? I asked for hot coffee. When I ask for hot coffee, I, I expect hot coffee. I am so sorry, sir. So sorry. You wait right there. I'll be right back. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. Here, uh, that oh. ought to do it. Hey, where are the, the, the fresh one, the fresh one. Scones, uh, yes. Uh, one moment, one moment. Mmm, that is some good coffee right there. There's your scones. Ah, uh, very nice. But you know what I would need along with those scones? What go really great? Some orange marmalade. Oh, fantastic idea, sir. Yeah. I will be right back. You yeah, hold of course on. it's a fantastic idea. I thought of it, you know. <sighs> God, okay. you said you'd give me the desires of my heart. And right now, orange marmalade is the desire of my heart. <laughs> and here you are, sir, the finest British marmalade. Oh, nice. Yes. You know, I got to hand it to you. You are good. Well, I, I live only for your comfort. So. <laughs> That's great. Well, yes. speaking of which, I could use a nice back rub. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, I, uh, all right, here we go. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That's the spot. Lower. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Wait. What is this, uh, this going to cost me? Oh, no, it's free. Yeah, of course. I... Haven't you ever heard of Grace? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so somewhere in between those extremes is where we live our lives and where we try to figure out how we relate to God across the reality of our own human need. We have needs. We have things that we are concerned about. We come in before God and we want to make our petitions known. And doesn't scripture say that? Come therefore boldly before the throne of grace. But there is a difference between coming boldly and coming arrogantly. There is a difference between coming in expectant faith and coming in demanding presumption. I, uh, I was for some years the president at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Great university. I still love it and pray for it and believe in Oral Roberts University. On the floor of the gymnasium, written right on the floor of the gymnasium, is sort of one of the bylines, the taglines, or the, the mottos of the university. And it's one of the things that Oral used to say himself when he lived. And it's a great thing. Written right on the gym floor, it says, expect a miracle. I believe in that. I believe in living in expectant faith. Our God is a good God. He wills good things for us. He is a powerful God. He's a God of miraculous grace. The problem is that every good thing, if it's turned good side down, can be a bad thing. Expect a miracle can become, if we're not careful with it, I deserve a miracle. I've got a miracle coming. I'm entitled to a miracle. You ever hear anybody say this? I just want what's coming to me. Uh, no, you don't. Never, ever, ever say, God, I want what I deserve. No, no. If we all get what we deserve, we're going to hell. Every single one of us. 
So these are broad extremes. The one extreme is this, is this kind of capricious, naughty God that's, that's like the, the tricker God. He's the one that's given us jalapeno candy and then laughing about it. But the other hand is God is the cosmic bellhop. He's the one that's, that's bringing, the, bringing the coffee, and if it's not hot, he apologizes. How do, how do we live in between those two extremes? The first is this. Yes, make your petitions known to God, but in the process, seek the heart of God, not simply the hand of God. That's what, that's what Paul the Apostle says in, in this passage which we read from 2 Corinthians. He said, what I wanted was the hand of God. And, and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. God doesn't rebuke him for saying, pull this thorn out of my flesh. God doesn't say he's bad. He just says, my grace is sufficient. So that as Paul three times sought the miraculous hand of God for deliverance from his infirmity, what he found instead was a higher path, the heart of God. That says, what is greater, what is greater than any miracle I could do for you? It is that I will give you my grace, which is sufficient for everything that you face in life. So seek the heart of God. Second is this. Pray. Yes, Yes, now listen to this. One of the most quoted passages of Scripture in the broader charismatic and Pentecostal world. God will give us the desires of our heart. Yes, I'm not equivocating from that. That is true. However, before you ask for the desires of your heart, ask God to give you the desires of his heart. Let me put it, let me put it to you another way. When you pray for what you want, ask first what you ought to want. Pray to want what God wants. Third, ask in faith believing. Ask in faith believing. When I, when I, someone comes here to the front of the church and they say, Pastor, I, I have cancer or I have an infirmity or a difficulty. I prayed with a lady tonight before the services. I went through and shook hands with people. She said, have a little prayer for me. I'm having trouble with my, with my legs, with my knees. And I said, let's pray. Let's pray right now. I, I pray believing. I pray in bold faith. God, I'm believing you for a miracle. I believe you for a miracle. And I don't want to make it that squishy kind of prayer, you know, oh God, we don't know what you want here. I don't want that. But the bottom line, at the end of all of that, we can pray. We can pray in faith believing. We can expect a miracle. And God is good and God is powerful. But at the bottom line, the greatest truth is that we are not entitled to any miracle of grace that God gives us. We don't deserve it. We don't ask for it because we deserve it. Fourth, when the miracle comes, be grateful. I think if there is one thing missing in our faith theology, it is that we spend more time and spiritual and emotional energy asking God for the miracle than we do praising him when it comes. Now, fifth, be satisfied and filled with praise when the miracle doesn't come. 
That's the hardest part. And I have to tell you, it is the least popular part to preach in Pentecostal churches. Pray in faith believing. There's nothing at all wrong with gathering around the bed of a sick loved one and saying, God, we believe you. We petition you. We are thanking you in advance. We're believing by faith. We're believing by faith. And when the miracle comes, rise up, shout, praise, worship, give thanks. But when God doesn't play the thing just exactly the way we want him to play it, he's still God and he's still good. Look, I, I think that this is the, this is the hardest balance in the spirit-filled world. On the one hand, there's this, there's this kind of squishy praying that won't believe God, won't ask God. It's kind of fatalism. Well, whatever God does, whatever he wants. And, and there's no passion in it. There's no prayer for a miracle. There's no faith. There's no miracle that's expected. But on the other hand, there can be this kind of arrogant presumption of demanding. Let me remind you of two stories in the New Testament, both in the life and ministry of Jesus. The first is from Matthew chapter 15. There is a woman, a Syrophoenician woman, a, a, a Canaanite, a Gentile, let's be clear. And she is crying out to Jesus that her daughter is demon-possessed. And the disciples try to shush her up. She's a Gentile. She won't quit. She cries out until finally Jesus himself. It's one of the hardest passages in the Bible. Jesus rebukes her. He says, look, woman, I'm the Messiah of the Jews. You're a Gentile. I can't take the food out of the children's mouths and feed it to dogs. Anybody? <laughs> Am I the only one in this whole room that's in touch with his carnality? I, I fear what I would have said. Dog. Dog. Don't call me a dog. You're not the man of God I thought you were. The Messiah would not talk to me like that. Not this woman. She says, true, Lord. That's absolutely true. I know that you can't take the food out of the baby's mouth and give it to a dog, and I know I'm a dog. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the crumbs that the babies drop. Isn't that an amazing statement? Now listen to what Jesus says. He says he admires her faith. He says, what faith? See this, it doesn't sound like faith. It sounds like he ought to say, what humility. What humility. Instead, he says, wow, what faith. All right, your daughter is healed. And the girl is delivered. But he, Jesus says, what faith? Here's the second story. A centurion, a Roman centurion, sends to Jesus and says, look, I've got a servant that I love. I care for him and he's dying. Please, please heal my servant. And Jesus says, all right, I'll come to your house. And this Roman centurion, another Gentile, he says, oh, I, I couldn't ask you. A Jew go into the house of a Gentile, 
a rabbi come into the house of a Gentile? The Messiah, the healer, the most preeminent Jewish leader of the day come into a house of a Gentile? I, I couldn't even, I couldn't ask you to do that. But he says, if, if you will just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, Jesus says the same thing. What faith? What faith? Do you see how Jesus takes it all and puts it together? That humility is not the opposite of faith. It is the correlated empowering factor. We come before God saying you are God and we are not. We know our needs. We know what we long for. And we want you to know God in all humility. My vote is for a miracle. My vote's for a miracle. If you give me the miracle, I'll praise you forever and ever. But if you say to me, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to praise you forever and ever. The secret then is not to get what you want from God. The secret is to become who God wants you to be. There's nothing at all wrong with believing God. There's nothing at all wrong with praying in faith, believing, and there is everything right about expecting a miracle. Just so long as you don't get to thinking that you've got it coming. At that point, the issue is not who you are at all. The issue is who he is. Our God is a good God. His will for us is good. Our God is a powerful God. His arm is not too short. He is never diminished in power. There is no limitation upon God in power. Whether God can do it is never in question. At some point or another, we must humble ourselves before the sovereignty of God. We go before him like the Syrophoenician woman crying out, Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, deliver my child. Deliver my child. We come like the centurion. Oh, God. Oh, God, heal my servant. She got the miracle for which she cried out. The centurion received the miracle that he wanted. And the greatest apostle ever to live didn't. That's the reality in which we live. God is a good God. God is a good God. There he will never, ever be angry at you for asking for your miracle in faith believing. But there may come that moment when he leans close to you and says, I love you. I love you and I hear your prayer. But my grace is sufficient. When God does the miracle, he's good. When he doesn't do it the way we want, he's still good and he's still God. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.